Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Owls at Night. I am Justin Plaza, and today I'll be joined by Matt Rainier, Sarah Catelli, and Jack Murray to talk about the Philadelphia Phillies. So with that, we'll just get right into it, and I'll, uh, I'll let Matt start us off with a little summary of the 2021 season. I mean, what can be said about this season? I mean, a lot happened for this team. You know, Bryce Harper won NL MVP. The team re-signed JT Real Muto to a long-term deal. And they finally, finally finished above 500. After so many years with a losing record, it feels good. However, the problems are there. And for this team, there is still no reliable pitchers. Hitting was a major problem all year long. They fielded so many missed balls. And they missed the playoffs for the 10th straight season, despite one of the highest payrolls in the league. For those keeping track at home, that is the second longest playoff drought in the MLB, only second to the 20-year drought that is the Seattle Mariners. It's been over a decade since they made the playoffs, and, and at insult to injury, the Atlanta Braves, a division rival of the team, just won the World Series after the Phillies blew their chance to win the division, losing most of their final games in September, including a series against the Braves. Philadelphia, despite all the problems and the turmoil, still had a chance to clinch the playoffs. And like I said, three straight losses to Atlanta resulted in them missing the playoffs. And really, to just drive home how frustrating this season was for the fans that had to watch this, their former team manager, Gabe Kapler, led the San Francisco Giants to the league's best record. It's another season of disappointment for Phillies fans who do not deserve to struggle and watch this team fail in the way that they have in recent years. Just like all major sports in Philadelphia, the Phillies mean so much to this team. This is one of the longest running franchises in American sports history, but it has also been through some tough times in its history as well. It was the fastest club to reach over 10,000 losses, and its fans have had to endure a playoff drought that lasted from 1994 all the way until 2006, and it's now dealing with another 10-plus year playoff drought. And yet despite this and many other tribulations the fan base has gone through, they are still some of the most loyal fans every single year. And one could argue that just all of this chaos makes them one of the most loyal fan bases in sports. They've endured so many tough losses, but the hope of championships and success is what keeps bringing them back. This season and the past few have been prime examples of this. The team is expected to achieve so much and make a deep playoff run. Instead, they finish with just around 80 wins and still can't get to the postseason. And yet despite this, Citizens Bank Park is still filled up at the start of the year year almost every single year because the fans always come out to support this team and that's just how much this team means to the city and now that being said this wasn't the only team in philadelphia's history to play baseball the philadelphia stars were a negro league baseball team in the 1930s and this was before baseball had integrated so there were some options back in the day but ever since the baseball uh mlb integrated it kind of it kind of got rid of the need for it so there were some other options but it's a bit of a team loss to history now that being said in regards to history the fan base has been fortunate enough to see a lot of star power play for this team over the years and with that let's turn it over to some uh, player bios One of the reasons this fan base stays loyal is because of the star power this franchise has had over its history. Mike Schmidt is one of the most beloved Phillies. He spent 17 years with the franchise from 1972 to 1989, 
a three-time NL MVP, 12-time All-Star, 10-time Gold Glove winner, and the leader of the 1980 World Series champion Phillies, in which he won the World Series MVP in the process. After his career, his number 20 was retired by the Phillies, and he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1995. As they say, though, baseball is a team sport, and Schmidt couldn't win it alone. Fortunately, he had some very good players along with him during his time in Philly. One of the most prominent was Steve Carlton. Steve Carlton was another member of that 1980 championship team for Philly. Arriving in 1972 from the St. Louis Cardinals, he spent the next 14 years with the club. Being named a 10-time All-Star and 4-time CY Young winner, his number 34 was retired by the team and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1994. While not a part of the 1980 team, Jimmy Rollins was still very successful in the 21st century for the team and is again one of the most beloved players in franchise history. Rollins was one of the key members of the legendary 2008 team that shocked everyone to win the World Series. Like Carlton, he spent 14 years in Philadelphia, where he won NL MVP in 2007 and earned a criminally low three All-Star appearances. He may not have had the same level of success as the previous two, but he was still beloved by the fans and was a part of one of the best stretches in franchise history, whose number will likely be retired when all is said and done. As mentioned before, the club has not been one of the more successful historic franchises. Despite this, the club has seen a good bit of success in its history, winning its division 11 times in 1976, 77, 78, 80, 83, 93, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, and 2011. The club has also won the National League seven times in 1915, 1950, 1980, 1983, 1993, 2008, and 2009. And the club has won the World Series twice in 1980 and 2008. While the team has a losing record in the finals and had a playoff drought spanning a decade, it is still one of the most historic franchises in the MLB. When talking about the Phillies, you'd be remiss not to mention one of the greatest players in franchise history in Richie Ashburn. Ashburn, also known by his colleagues and fans as Putt-Putt, the Tilden Flash, and Whitey, played for the Phillies from 1948 to 1959. Growing up in Tilden, Nebraska in 1947, who would have thought that Ashburn would eventually make it to the Baseball Hall of Fame as a player from the city of Philadelphia? As a lifetime 308 hitter and the greatest Phillies outfielder in team history, Rich Ashburn will always hold a big place in the hearts of Phillies fans around the world. Now for the second player we'll be discussing, we'll be talking about one of the greatest Phillies pitchers in franchise history. That would be the one and only Tug McGraw. Born in Martinez, California, McGraw is often remembered for coining the phrase, you gotta believe, which became the rallying cry for the 1973 New York Mets. The colorful left-handed pitcher was a major part in helping both the Phillies and New York Mets capture a World Series championship. Even recording the final out of the 1980 World Series against the Kansas City Royals by striking out Willie Wilson, thereby bringing the Philadelphia Phillies their first such championship, ending a 97-year drought. McGraw also ended up as a sports anchor and reporter for Action News on WPVI, the ABC affiliate in Philadelphia. McGraw is without a doubt one of the greatest relievers ever, and Phillies sure could use McGraw, McGraw in the bullpen right now. Last but not least, you have to mention one of my personal all-time favorites in first baseman Ryan Howard. Howard was born in Florissant, Missouri on November 19, 1979, and is the only player on this list I got to see play live, 
and man was it a sight to behold. Being one of baseball's most electric power hitters, Howard is also known for being the first player to reach both the 100 and 200 home run milestones. The big piece, as many fans called him, was also a major component in the 2008 legendary Philly squad that eventually ended up winning the second World Series championship in franchise history. Though Howard faced much criticism throughout his career for strikeouts and having uh, low batting averages during some seasons, there's no doubt that he had a lasting impact on the history of the franchise and its fans. Howard ended up with 382 home runs, three all-star appearances throughout his career. From the beginning, baseball has been a reflection of American culture in many ways. Baseball has always been a sign of hope for all, and has been used as a morale booster many times throughout history. From playing the game as a distraction during the Civil War, to many major leaguers serving in World War I and World War II, to George W. Bush throwing the first pitch for Game 3 of the 2001 World Series after the 9-11 tragedy. The game has also been at the head of cultural change throughout society, especially during the Civil Rights Movement. During this time, baseball was considered a strictly white men-only game. For those they wouldn't allow in the major leagues, there was an African-American league that played concurrently in Philadelphia called the Philadelphia Stars, which Matt mentioned earlier on this episode. This league started in the 1930s when Ed Bolden, an American baseball executive, returned to the game after taking a break. The team played at the Pennsylvania Railroad Company YMCA Ballpark in West Philly. This racial segregation in baseball didn't end until April 15, 1947, when Jackie Robinson broke that color barrier as he started at first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers in a game against the Boston Braves. In addition to baseball being an outlet for hope and a reflection of society's current issues, the game also represents family tradition. Growing up, we go to the games, we watch them, and we listen to them with family and friends. Some of us might even play the game as a sport. The love for the sport is passed down through generations, so it's more than just a game to a lot of people. Twenty twenty one marked the tenth year of no postseason baseball for the Philadelphia Phillies. The Philadelphia baseball team is looking to contend in the playoffs next year, possibly getting a wild card slot against the New York Mets. Riz Hoskins is the player most anticipated to perform well after returning from a strong season cut short by injury. He will return for opening day this spring along with Bryson Stott, a new shortstop from the team from Lehigh Valley. The shortstop rookie isn't the only player Joe Girardi would like to bring onto the team. He has made it clear he is looking for more outfielders and pitchers. If the Phillies had some more depth in the bullpen, it's expected that they'll start to win more games. Zach Wheeler is the Phillies' ace pitcher who led the Phillies' bullpen in strikeouts and had to settle for runner-up position in the Cy Young race. With some new Phillies coming, the possibility of losing part of the team is inevitable. After picking up Ryan Scherer from the Tampa Bay Rays, six members of the Philadelphia Phillies elected for free agency. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Owls at Night, and we will see you next time. Women's rugby is a full-contact team sport based on running with the ball in hand. The same laws are used in men's rugby with the same size pitched and same equipment. 
Rugby was originally a men's sport, and women's rugby has become popular only more recently. Philadelphia has been paving their own way with a successful women's rugby league. The most recent women's rugby season that has stats available is the 2019 season. They struggled to keep their head above water, going 1-4. This was a complete contrast to their performance in 2017, where they went 3-2. Their most upsetting loss was to the DC Furies, who absolutely crushed them 28-0. This loss lit a fire in the veins of the players. They went back to training to come back even harder for next season. According to their Instagram, they have closed off their 2021 season with crushing the DC Furies in a victory of 37-12. Women's rugby has a longer history than you might expect. There are accounts of women playing in New Zealand dated back to 1891. The PRFC is the third oldest women's rugby club in the nation and the oldest in the Philadelphia area. It's empowering. All this adds up to the sport that's empowering for young women of all ages. Rugby offer girls the chance to boost the self-esteem, build resilience, and form a support system. The Philadelphia's women's rugby team serves as just that. Over the years, several women have made their mark on the American rugby scene. Ma Sorensen began her career at the College of William & Mary, being part of the first ever women's rugby team there. After graduating in 1978, she moved to Philadelphia to enroll in medical school. She played for the Philadelphia women's rugby team until 1985. Her career continued on to the international stage with the U.S. women's rugby team, claiming a first-place World Cup title in 1991 and two second-place World Cup titles in 1994 and 1998. When it comes to the Philadelphia Women's Rugby Club, no two women have had more of an impact than Angie Clark and Betsy Tomlinson. While initially trying to form their own teams from different areas, the two joined forces and founded the team. Clark was known for being a versatile player, able to cover all positions on the field, her favorite being tight head prop. Clark made her name in the team's history by scoring the first ever try against the University of Delaware. Betsy Tomlinson ran the club alongside Clark for several years, acting as both a player and a coach at one point. Today, Tomlinson remains active in the rugby community. She's written many articles detailing rugby news in and around Philadelphia, and her children and grandchildren have also carried on the tradition playing for the Doylestown Rugby Football Club. The Philadelphia Women's Rugby Club is the third oldest women's club in the United States and the oldest in the Philadelphia area. Its origins can be traced back to 1976 when founders Angie Clark and Betsy Tomlinson first met. Tomlinson had been recruiting women from the Doylestown area while Clark was recruiting women from around Philadelphia. Realizing that neither of them had enough for separate teams, they decided to combine forces and in the spring of 1976, the Philadelphia Women's Rugby Club was founded. Today, the club plays in both the Division I and III brackets, while also supporting local youth teams. The team has remained active in the community since, holding events bringing attention to issues such as transphobia and the BLM movement, while also producing alumni who have gone on to play for the Olympic women's team. The Philadelphia Women's Rugby Club would not have made it to where it stands today without strong leaders like Gary Manier, Michelle Taft-Morris, and Angie Marfarsi-Nagel. Gary Manier coached the Hibernians and played for the Chesapeake and White Marsh. She held a very strong belief in women and their capabilities when many others did not. With Manier's strong beliefs, she helped physically and mentally prepare her team for the first time at Women's National, where they finished in an impressive eighth place. Michelle Taft-Norris was on Philadelphia's team from 1992 to 2003. 
and through her time on the team, she found herself in many different positions. From assistant coach to president of the team, Morris has done it all. Even after retiring as a player, Morris, also known as Beast by her team, worked as a tournament chair for Pumpkin Fest and led them to success. Angie Marfarsi Nagel played from 2002 to 2010. Not only did she play for Temple University, she also became a coach for Temple Owls. During her years of playing the game, she was able to fill many different roles for the team, including flanker, hooker, eight-man, and many more. Nagel also served as captain for the PWFRC. These three women and their stories are shining representations of success through leadership and determination. For many people, sports begin and end on the field. It's seen simply as the game that's played for fun or competition, nothing more, nothing less. But if you ask the players of women's rugby what this sport means to them, you'll find yourself with a completely different answer. Women's rugby works as a way to show the capability of women in their field. Many view sports as a man's hobby, something only men can play at the highest level and something only men can enjoy. Women's rugby proves to our culture that women are just as capable of playing competitive sports. Not only that, but it highlights the universal passion of sports that's held by all genders. This community not only strives for equality between genders, but works to create a sport of diversity where all walks, where all walks of life can find a home. Philadelphia's rugby club, above all else, values diversity, equity, and inclusion. They strive to include marginalized and underrepresented groups on their turn, showing that women's rugby has a place for all women, regardless of where they were before. This sport lets women of different backgrounds come together and work as a team, and it celebrates the mutual respect and companionship we all have for one another. Sports is no longer a boys-only club, and women's rugby is living proof of that fact. The Philadelphia Women's Rugby Club is just as inspiring off the field as they are when they step on the field. It is great to see how many women the group is motivating, along with all they do for the community. After beating the DC Furies 37-12 in their final game of the 2021 season, the Philadelphia Women's Rugby Club is looking to start the 2022 season right where they left off. They paired up with Novim, which is a physical fitness center. They work out as a team and are looking to improve for the spring season. This is a six-week program and the club seems to really enjoy it. The club is also looking for new members. A meeting will be held on Zoom February 9th for people that are interested in joining. With the spring season shortly approaching, the club is doing their best to make sure they start the 2022 campaign with a bang. This club is growing every year and I am very excited to see what the future holds. The spring schedule for games will be released very soon. The Philadelphia Women's Rugby Club is helping shift the culture and it is amazing to witness. Hopefully we continue to have groups like this that are changing the world for the better. Rugby is a sport that brings different types of people together around the world. The Philadelphia Women's Rugby team has influenced the lives of many and will continue to do so.
Your Philadelphia Eagles took the field this season and exceeded expectations, but how have the birds you love got here? Let's take a look. 2020-2021 season started as a year of change for the birds. A new coach and head coach Nick Sirianni, a new quarterback in Jalen Hurts, and the beginning of a new era in Philadelphia football. With an offseason capitalized by drafting, a by drafting rookie phenom Devonta Smith, the team was poised for a rebuilding year. Early on, that's what it was looking like for the Eagles as they stumbled out the gate to a 3-6 record. But then, something started clicking and the Eagles went on an unprecedented run, winning 6 of their last 8 and capturing the final wildcard spot in the NFC. This was before ultimately going down to Tampa Bay and losing in brutal fashion to the defending champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, losing 31-15. to Some of the leaders on the team included quarterback Jalen Hurts and Passy, where he racked up 3,144 yards, 16 touchdowns, and 9 interceptions. On the ground, Jalen Hurts also led the team in rushing, having 784 yards and 10 rush touchdowns. But if we're talking just running backs, it was Miles Sanders with 754 yards while having no rushing touchdowns on the season. And catching the ball, it was rookie phenom Devonta Smith, as mentioned earlier, 916 yards on 64 receptions and 5 touchdowns on the season. So a lot to build on for the Eagles going into next year. But before that, let's dive into a little bit of the history of this city and the birds. Now that was just the short term for the Eagles. But what has the team been in the long term? And that is a large and a historical part of the city that it calls home. Yeah, the Eagles are the heartbeat of this city. Wherever you go around in Philadelphia, you will see something resembling the team. Whether it's a jersey, a flag, a street sign. It's absolutely inescapable if you live in this city. And this comes from a history of a team that's been in the city of brotherly love since 1933 after the former NFL franchise, the Frankfurt Yellow Jacket. Once this team collapsed, they became the Philadelphia Eagles we all know today. Which, it only is outdated by the way, the Eagles' birth in the city is only outdated by that of the Philadelphia Phillies who came about in the 1800s, making them the second oldest sports team in the city. But this connection has continued to grow, making the Eagles bond with the fans, and vice versa, the strongest in the city. And it only will continue to grow, as the Eagles have, have had more unprecedented success in, this last, in these last two decades, than any of the major sports teams in the city. A few of the famous birds that have helped develop this relationship with the fans are Reggie White, Chuck Benarek, and Steve Van Buren. White was a force to be reckoned with, and in a league of his own defensively, he was named the Defensive Player of the Year twice, and he went to the Pro Bowl 13 times, widely considered a top three defender in NFL history. Ben Narek is one of the most versatile athletes to ever play the sport, he, giving them the nickname Concrete Charlie due to how hard hit how hard his hitting ability was. 
He was also what is known as a 60-minute man, which means that he played on both sides of the ball the entire game. Steve Van Buren is one of the two halfbacks that we'll be mentioning in this episode. Being originally from Honduras, Van Buren was an Eagles for seven seasons and racked up nearly 6,000 yards in rushing. But that's just for old, that's some of the players of old. Let's talk about what this team has done now. While boasting a long history of competing in football and being one, among one of the original teams in the NFL, the team's history in terms of accolades has had plenty of ups and downs in their history. Before the AFL-NFL merger, the Eagles had three NFL championships to stake claim to. One in 1948, 1949, and 1960. Post-1965, also known as the Super Bowl era, outside of one NFC championship in, the 19 in 1980 that led to a Super Bowl loss to the Raiders, the Eagles never made back any serious accolades. That was until the 2000s era, where former head coach and Eagles legend Andy Reid was hired. Reid took the team to four NFC Championship games, including three in consecutive years, until finally breaking through and making a Super Bowl berth, where they would inevitably lose to the New England Patriots in 2004 in Jacksonville, Florida. However, the Eagles broke through in 2017 after following a magnificent run on the back of their backup quarterback, QB Nick Foles, as well as second-year head coach Doug Peterson, which culminated in the franchise's first Super Bowl win, ironically against those Patriots that broke their hearts years ago. While on the topic of the incredible heart of this team, we would be remiss if we did not mention some of the heaviest hitters from the long-standing franchise. Now, we talked about some earlier, and we talked about some impactful players in the older generation of the Eagles, but now, let's talk about some from this more successful post-2000s era Andy Reid era team. Starting with, we'll start with someone who is quite literally one of the heaviest hitters of, in NFL history, Brian Dawkins. Dawkins was a nine-time Pro Bowl safety. His accomplishments also landed him a spot in the extremely exclusive NFL defensive club and later on the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Another legendary eagle is Pete Pihos. Pete was named to the Football Hall of Fame in 1970. He was inducted at age 46. Being that he was born in 1923, mixing in some of the old and the new here though. Moving on to more big hitters overall. The final player on this list is Brian Westbrook one of the all-time great running backs of the league. Joining the team in 2002, he would go on to accumulate over 6,000 rushing yards for the Birds. There are just a few timeless players that would play for this team, but all of them would make their mark on, their on this city and gain the love of the fans. But moving outside of Philadelphia, the game of football has such a larger impact on American culture as a whole. The main reason being, is the only sport that is solely owned and made by Americans. Americans are the only ones who have popularized football, at least to the level it is now, and no other culture has made an effort or even an interest into incorporating football as a part of their culture, at least to the level of, of, an Ameri of, the, Ameri of the USA. 
Therefore, more people dedicate their entire Sundays glued to the television watching this game. This worldwide phenomenon has made, Amer has made America add football to their culture whether wanted or not. To the point where it's barely a worldwide phenomenon. It's an American phenomenon. End of story. The outlook of the Eagles for next season can only be viewed as positive, following the season in which the team exceeded expectations and made it to the playoffs in the first year of a supposed rebuild. It is wise to expect the team to build on their weaknesses on the defensive side of the ball as well as patch up a couple things and add more explosion to the offense. With three first round draft choices and over $6 million in cap space to spend in free agency, most of these goals should be able to be should be able to be taken care of this offseason. But in this position now, it is all speculation and a speculation game as a whole. And as of right now, my personal Philadelphia Eagles prediction is another 9-8 record for the second straight season, while finishing second in the NFC East for a second straight season with a chance to sneak into a wild card for the second straight season. Not much turnover only with being less than a month out from the season and a lot of off seasons still to play. We all love the NFL and if you're from Philadelphia, you love the Eagles as well. But it's always good to shine the light on some less than prominent sports teams in this city. Welcome back to Owls at Night with MSP 3771. Today we're talking about the ABL and WNBA basketball leagues, as well as the inequality between men and women's basketball and sports in general. You've heard of the WNBA, but have you ever heard of the ABL? In 1996, the American Basketball League was established. It was an all-women's professional basketball league consisting of nine teams. The name may not necessarily ring a bell because it was very short-lasting, going strong for about two years before filing for bankruptcy. During its prime, though, the ABL gave women athletes an opportunity to shine. Although the WNBA was created around the same time as the ABL, Athletes who had the opportunity to play for both leagues view the ABL as a path that was paved for the WNBA. The WNBA kickstarted their first game in 1996 with about eight teams. They differed from the ABL in that they played in the summer, while the ABL played during the winter seasons. They also differed in salaries, with the ABL being known to pay much better. So although they never competed against one another, it was the strong ability to be backed by the NBA that kept 
the WNBA's establishment alive past the point of the ABL and allowed for them to continue till this day. As Philadelphia has never had a women's basketball team in the WNBA, the introduction of the ABL team, Philadelphia Rage, was out to change the narrative in the city. With women being underrepresented in sports in the Philadelphia area, Rage was supposed to be an eye-opener into women's sports and take some of the heavy spotlight away from men's teams like the 76ers, Eagles, Phillies, and Flyers. Many people feel that Philadelphia should have a team in the WNBA, However, that dream might have been stumped by Philadelphia Rage's unsuccessful statistics in the late 90s. As Philadelphia is known for having one of the wildest fan bases for all things sports in the country, a women's basketball team would be expected to drive sales even higher. However, during their first season after transitioning from Richmond to Philadelphia in hopes of higher ticket sales and attendance, the crowd did not reach expectations and averaged 3,200 fans in a 10,000-seat arena. This number stayed stagnant for 22 home games in the first season of 1997. Out of the league's nine teams, Philadelphia Rage ranked eight in attendance. With even smaller numbers for away games, Philadelphia Rage didn't receive the support they needed from fans, which affected them on the court and ultimately led to the end of the ABL as a whole. Dawn Staley, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, Taj McWilliams, these three names are of powerful women in basketball. Let's get into it. From the ABL and WNBA emerged Dawn Staley, who joined the rage of the ABL in 1996 and was later drafted into the WNBA in 1999 to play for the Charlotte Sting. In the year 2000, while she was still in the WNBA, Staley coached for our very own Temple University's women's basketball team. She led our team to great success and is now spreading that success as she coaches at the University of South Carolina. Another powerful woman who emerged from the ABL and WNBA was Taj McWilliams. She too was drafted in 1996 to play for the Philadelphia Rage. She was a powerful player in the WNBA, playing for numerous teams, ultimately earning the title of being one of the greatest post players in all of league history. Her basketball career would lead her to be a two-time All-WNBA and a six-time All-Star. Miss Jackie Joyner-Kersey was multifaceted in the athletic world. Not only did she win six Olympic track and field medals, three of them being gold, but she was also a skilled basketball player. She played as a starter at UCLA all four years and was titled one of the best 15 players in the school's history. Eventually, she earned an even greater title, being crowned the greatest female athlete of the 20th century by Sports Illustrated. The team's 1996-1997 season started in Richmond, Virginia. During their opener season, the team's record was 21-19, finishing second in the ABL's Eastern Conference after advancing to the championship series and losing to Columbus Quest 3-2. In hopes of better marketing and an increased fan base, Rage moved to Philadelphia for the season of 97-98. The team's record worsened, leading them to be 13-3, finishing fourth in the ABL's Eastern Conference, despite having some of the league's top players on the court. In their shortcut season of 1998-1999, Philadelphia Rage's record was 9-5, a more promising start to the season than the last. They finished second in the Eastern Conference, but did not get to finish the season due to bankruptcy and the ultimate failure of the ABL League in general. 
I'd like to talk about three more figures in women's basketball that stood out in history. Ann Donovan being the first. Ann Donovan was a decorated women's basketball player and coach. In her playing days, the ABL and WNBA were not formed, so she had to look elsewhere to be a part of a professional league. She represented the Chance V Magic in Japan from 1983 to 1989, and a team in Italy from 1988 to 1989. She attended Old Dominion University, where she earned herself an NCAA championship, became a three-time All-American, was named National Player of the Year in 1983, and was a part of the U.S. Olympic team three times and won the gold twice. As a professional coach, she led the Seattle Storm to their first championship, making her the first woman to win at the collegiate level and coach a professional team to a championship. Her other coaching experience included Old Dominion, East Carolina, Philadelphia Rage, Indiana Fever, Charlotte Sting, New York Liberty, Seton Hall, and Connecticut Sun. The second prominent figure I'd like to discuss is Katrina Price. Katrina Price was an elite women's basketball star and scholar in high school and college. She had played one professional season with the Philadelphia Rage before the end of the ABL. She tragically passed due to a self-inflicted gunshot at the young age of 23. In high school, she earned honors being named Central Texas Player of the Year, co-MVP for Central Texas Female Athlete of the Year, and took La Vega High School to the state finals. She was the all-time leading scorer at Stephen F. Austin State University and the Southland Conference Player of the Year in 1997 and 1998. Professionally, she earned a silver medal with the U.S. national team in 1997 and was a reserve guard for the Philadelphia Rage in 1998. Less than a month after the ABL folded, she committed suicide. It's important that we remember her in her best light as the young, exceptionally talented woman that she was. Let her story be a reminder to please check and be there for your loved ones and those around you. For female athletes seeking help and looking to better their mental health, the Virgo Project is a nonprofit organization that assists with just that. Visit virgoproject.org for more. And if you or anybody you know is having suicidal thoughts, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And lastly, let's talk about Adrian Goodson. Adrian Goodson is a former ABL and WNBA star that was known for her extraordinary rebounding skills, especially as a six-foot forward. Early in her professional career, she played in Brazil due to the fact that when she graduated in 1988, an American professional women's basketball league did not exist. In her five years in Brazil, she won the championship. She won the championship each year. In 1996, she left Brazil for the ABL. She was an all-star during her first season with the Richmond Rage, in which they made it to the ABL final. Richmond then located to Philadelphia, and she was once again an all-star in her sophomore season with the Philadelphia Rage. In the WNBA, she played for the Utah Stars, San Antonio Silver Stars, Houston Comets, and the Charlotte Sting. She was named an all-star in her 2002 season with the Utah Stars. Women's basketball is unfairly overlooked within the sports world. The talent that it has produced throughout history speaks for itself, and as women continue to compete at a high level, you would think that there would be more attention towards the WNBA and women's basketball as a whole. An example of the discrepancy and inequality between men and women's basketball was recently brought to light during the 2021 NCAA tournament. Due to the COVID outbreak, the NCAA followed the footsteps of the NBA and created a bubble to be able to try and continue to have the tournament in each city. Photos leaked on social media comparing the women's weight room to the men's weight room and the photos left many outraged. The women only had yoga mats and dumbbells available to them while the men had better equipment and a better workout space. 
it is a shame that women aren't given the same respect as male basketball athletes because it leaves a lot of skillful women unfairly overlooked. We can see how some incredibly skilled athletes have emerged from the WNBA. It's given women athletes a platform to showcase their abilities and gain acknowledgement, more so than any other. Over the years, the league has expanded to 12 successful teams and has captured a viewership of over 300,000 people. However, in comparison to the NBA, the stats of the WNBA franchise do not rank nearly as close. The NBA is much larger and widely known. It's a league consisting of 30 teams with over 1 million viewers. The sad reality is that the facilities, treatment, and benefits are not equal, and a promising future is not guaranteed being an athlete in the WNBA. Let's be real. If I asked someone spontaneously to name three NBA players, I'm sure it would be easy. You don't even have to watch men's basketball to know famous names, and that's due to their successful marketing outside of the sport. Ask the same person to name three WNBA players, though, and you might get one or two names at best. As of right now, the WNBA is holding its own, going relatively strong. However, changes need to be made so that the WNBA can experience a continued longevity of success. We hope that it only continues to grow in its support and thrive in the future. That was Owls at Night talking about the ABL and WNBA Basketball Leagues and the inequality between men and women's basketball. Thanks for listening.